Good evening, beloved. <laughs> Thank you. As you were just notified, we're reading today from Matthew chapter 7, 1 through 6. Please turn there with me. Swipe there if you're utilizing the Pew Bible. It can be accessed in the back of the Bible on page 6. Amen? Amen. Judge not that you be not judged. For the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Can we give the Lord hand clap praise? Amen. Good to be in the house of the Lord one more time. If you have your Bibles, please meet me in Matthew chapter 7. I'll reread the scripture for reiteration. Judge not that you not be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we love you and we pray that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us. That you would hide me behind your cross and crucify my flesh. That you will speak through me to your people in such a way that they will indeed be edified, that your name would be glorified, and that those who are sinners would be evangelized. In Jesus' name, and the people of God say amen. amen. One of the greatest benefits of preaching through entire books of the Bible expositionally is that you don't get to skip over scriptures that are uncomfortable to preach on. Amen? This is one of those passages. And as we continue our series through the book of Matthew, Jesus brings his Sermon on the Mount to a climactic close by addressing one of the issues that most, if not all of us, struggle with on a weekly basis. In fact, you do it constantly while you're driving to and from work to the driver in front of you going too slow or the one that just passed you driving insanely fast. You do it constantly at work with coworkers who are not pulling their weight or those who throw their weight around. 
It happens at home with family members and friends and neighbors when you have a disagreement. You do it to your husband and your wife when a desire is not being met. It happens to your children, especially when they get on your nerves. It happens while you're sitting in the sanctuary listening to the music or the sermon, depending on your level of taste and preference. What is it? It is our instinctual nature to judge other people. I know for me there was something so piercing and inescapable about Christ's words here calling me to live out this passage even in my own life, in my own marriage, in my interactions with other people. And there is no way that we can come away from diving into the heart of Jesus' words here and not be changed by them. Amen? The Lord gave me three principles to give to you that changes the way we do relationships in Christ. If we're going to learn how to judge in a way that honors the gospel, we need to remember three principles. Number one, if you pronounce judgment on others, you will not get away with it. Look at your neighbor and say, you will not get away with it. Secondly, if you size up yourself first, you will see clearly to address others in need. Thirdly, if you exercise discernment with outsiders, giving the gospel away will not be wasted. The first principle hit me hard in my examination of Jesus' words. If you pronounce judgment on others, you will not get away with it. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. Judge not, and you will not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Wow. Let's first tackle what Jesus meant by judge not. Jesus is certainly not talking about not making moral evaluations of right and wrong. As we will see in verse 6, that would be a misinterpretation of Jesus' words. You and I need to exercise discernment and make moral evaluations, as we will see in a moment. Many worldly people like to use this passage or this phrase as a conversation stopper. Doesn't your Bible say you shouldn't judge or judge not? Or why are you being judgy? Your Bible says that, doesn't it? In fact, this is perhaps one of the most misunderstood and misquoted verses in all of the Bible. This is not a conversation stopper to shut down attempts to admonish people engaged in, in immoral behavior. Notice whom Jesus is addressing in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. And seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain, and his, who came to him? His disciples came to him. And the Bible says he opened up his mouth and taught them. Who is them referring to? His disciples. Jesus is not expecting people in the world to apply kingdom principles. Outsiders are incapable of applying kingdom truth. It is foolishness to them. 
Jesus is clearly not addressing the crowd, but his disciples. This is not even addressing other people who are judging you. That's outside of your control. It's outside of my control. This is about you and I as a follower of Christ not judging other people. Jesus does not mean do not admonish or lovingly confront others who are in the wrong. According to Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 says, if your brother sins against you, what? Tell him his fault between you and him. And also keep in mind, judge not does not mean to be completely non-judgmental. Even telling someone that she is being judgmental is rather a judgmental thing to do, isn't it? But if we're really honest with ourselves, some of us possess, most of us possess the essential nature to judge other people, and some of us can be rather judgy. In essence, so what does Jesus mean by judge not? In essence, he, he means to bring down the gavel on another person. That's what it means. It means to bring down the gavel in a judgment of condemnation on your brother and sister in Christ. The Greek word is krino. It literally means to sit as judge on someone condemning them. In a very real way, we play God as supreme judge on someone condemning them. We play God, who alone has the ability to read the motives of our hearts and the power to cast people into hell. This then becomes a link between what Jesus said in the immediate context. Do not worry. Because when we worry, as Tim faithfully preached last Sunday, we act as if we're God. Worrying about things that we have absolutely no control over. Likewise, when we pronounce judgment on our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are presuming the place of God. Ironically, you and I become judge, jury, and prosecuting attorney when we sit in condemnation on our brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? But Christ has made us witnesses, not judges. Judge not that you not be judged, for with the judgment you what pronounce, you will be judged. And the measure you give, it will, you will get. Likewise, sometimes we may not even pronounce it verbally. But secretly, we judge people in our hearts. And that's why Jesus addresses the heart in the Sermon on the Mount. Yet one of the obvious ways we judge others harshly is with our words. For with the judgment you pronounce, you recall earlier in Jesus' sermon, like a skillful surgeon cuts to the heart of the matter. The king and supreme judge of humanity zeroes in on one who commits murder in their heart. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 26, it says, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not commit murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Here it is. 
Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. It was Dorothy Norvell that articulates the real art of conversation is not only to say the right thing in the right place, but to leave unsaid the wrong thing at a tempting moment. How many of us have said the wrong thing at a tempting moment? I know I have. Been there, done that, got a few t-shirts. He says, with your words, you will be justified, and with your words, you will be condemned in another passage. Jesus is using and employing language that is commonly used in a courtroom. So the reason we should not sit in judgment on others is because we are not God. And secondly, you and I will not get away with it. I have seen this play out in my own marriage. The power of life and death is in our tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. I'm learning in my own relationships to taste my words before I spit them out. We reap what we sow, but we always meet, reap more than what we sow, and we reap later than what we sow. You and I choose the standard by which we will be judged. This is the boomerang effect. Luke's narrative elaborates on Jesus' words in this way. Listen to our Lord's words. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, shaken together, running over, will be given into your lap. For with the measure you give will be the measure you get. Whenever you want something to happen in the atmosphere of your relationship, you have to sow it. Do you agree with that? If you want love, you have to sow love. If you want peace, you have to sow peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the peace breakers. We have to treat others the way we want to be treated. This is the golden rule. So instead of bringing down the gavel on our brothers and sisters in Christ, we learn how to give and we learn how to forgive. We learn how to forgive even if he or she doesn't deserve it. We give it to him anyway because we don't deserve it. Make it a grace relationship because a grace relationship is always a great relationship. The message paraphrased Bible says it this way. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. Have you ever noticed how a critical spirit brings out a critical spirit in others? It really does. You see, there's nothing wrong with us exercising our critical thinking skills and assessing situations and people critically. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones calls constructive criticism one of the highest exercises of the human mind. This is how we evaluate literature and art and music and many other things in our world. It is the basis for how we assess and evaluate the behavior of others. It's a good thing. It's healthy for us to listen to the constructive feedback 
of others, whether it be our spouses or our bosses or our teachers or our pastors or our leaders. This is how we grow. Lloyd-Jones goes on to say that one with a hypocritical spirit is on the prowl to find fault in others. See, that's the difference between just being critical versus hypercritical. And in describing a hypercritical spirit, he argues that there are no people more sensitive to criticism than those who are always criticizing others. They dislike it and complain when it happens to them, but never seem to remember when they do it with respect to others. Here's the point. That if we're judgmentally critical of others, God is going to hold us to the same standard that we use on others. And what goes around comes around. Look at your neighbor and say, what goes around comes around. Yet Jesus is going a little bit deeper than just people boomeranging the judgment to you. When you judge others the way the Pharisees judge others, God will judge you. You see the difference? Wait a minute, you mean to tell me that God is still going to judge me even after I'm justified by faith and have peace with God and I'm not condemned in Christ? Absolutely. Paul informs us that there are some people, even in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, but were sick and dying of judgment because they were irreverent at the communion table, getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Even that brother in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 was sleeping with his mother-in-law, flaunting it in the church, and God delivered him over for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit could be saved. On the one hand, we will escape God's eternal judgment of damnation because we are eternally secure in Christ. On the other hand, God disciplines those whom he loves. Ask King David. Ask Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 6. If we bring down the gavel on others, God will bring down the gavel on us. I tried to figure out a different way to understand this passage. There's no way for us to to sugarcoat it. We can't. We can't sugarcoat the words of Christ here. One day we must stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and yes, it is a judgment of rewards, not of condemnation. Yet will the master say to you and me, well done, my good and faithful servants, or will he say, well, you made it. Not much rewards, but you made it. Paul says our work will be judged by fire. It is clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account. The second reason you should not sit in judgment on others is because you and I are incapable of occupying that seat. John Stott said, To be censorious is to presume arrogantly to anticipate the day of judgment, to usurp the prerogative of the divine judge, in fact, to play God. 
You and I cannot play God. We can't. John Stott goes on to say that if you enjoy occupying the bench, you must not be surprised to find yourself in the dock. In Romans chapter 2, verse 1 says, You therefore have no excuse, you, you who pass judgment on someone else. For what, at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Not a single human being is qualified to be the judge of fellow be- human beings in God's kingdom. Why? Because we cannot read each other's hearts and assess each other's motives. Only one is capable of doing that, and that is Christ. And this is why we give each other the benefit of the doubt. Anybody loves the benefit of the doubt here? I love the benefit of the doubt. In our Communicate series, it's thinking the best instead of assuming the worst. It really is. When I give my brother or sister the benefit of the doubt, I am learning to ask questions instead of just making statements or accusations. Giving others the benefit of the doubt is not easy to do, but it's the gracious thing to do. Giving others the benefit of the doubt will do miracles in our relationships. Apostle Paul understood this concept so well in Romans chapter 14. He says, accept him who is weak in the faith without passing judgment on disputable matters. For one's faith allows him to eat everything. But another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For he has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. We cannot sit in judgment on one another. The reason why we cannot is because Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not one is righteous, no, not one. And the last time when I looked up that word all in the Greek, I was amazed at what I saw. All in the Greek means all. Here's the point. We should treat others the way we want God to treat us. Because the way we treat others is how God will treat us. Jesus is calling his disciples, us, to stand out from the Pharisees and the rest of the world. We're never more like the Pharisees than when we sit in judgment on one another. And the Pharisees were notorious and infamous for bringing down the gavel on others. The scribes and the Pharisees would often bind heavy burdens on people, judge them hypocritically, and condemn sinful actions while they themselves were guilty of sinful attitudes and thoughts. The Pharisees would often hold people to a standard that not even they could keep. You see, to sit in judgment on others is rather arrogant, isn't it? How is it that Christ, the judge of the universe, died in your place And he forgives you, and yet I pronounce judgment on you. It's presumptuous, and yet we do this all the time. 
Lord, help us. Paul asked a profound question in, in light of Jesus' death on the cross for us. In Romans chapter 8, he says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us even now. If you pronounce judgment on others, if I pronounce judgment on others, we will not get away with it. But how do we as disciples of Christ avoid sitting in judgment on others? Thank you for asking. That's my second point. If you size up yourself first, you will see clearly to address others in need. Look at verses 3 and 5. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's like you're saying to your brother, brother, you really have an issue with your eye. And I really believe that if you don't take that speck of dust out of your eye, you could lose your eye, brother. All the while, my vision is obscured, and I can't even see the log that is protruding from my own eye. Jesus says, that's hypocritical. How ridiculous does it sound to compare a dust to a a log protruding from your eye? It sounds crazy, doesn't it? And yet Jesus is using hyperbole, which is an exaggerated expression to drive home his point. In other words, he is saying you don't qualify to serve others and critiquing them until you understand how disqualified you really are. John Maxwell in his book Winning with People said that human nature seems to be endowed with the ability to size up everyone in the world but themselves. In fact, I want you to do this for me. It's an object lesson. I want you to point your finger this way. Don't point at each other. Just point this way, straight towards me. Notice how many fingers is pointing this way and how many fingers are pointing back at you. Three fingers are pointing back at me while I'm pointing the finger at somebody else. Why? Because I have something protruding from my own eye. Some of you are still pointing. You don't have to point anymore. Just joking. See, when Jesus', Jesus disciples decide to bring down the gavel on others, he treats them the same way that he treats the religious leaders. And he says to them, you hypocrite. What? What does that mean? Why would Jesus call his own disciples hypocrites? And as I looked at that actual word, the word hypocrite is, it means to be two-faced. It means to be judged under a covering. It was a term that was actually used in the world of acting. 
In other words, the, the Pharisees would be acting one way, but being another way. And so the Lord calls his own disciples hypocrites. Why do you judge your brothers? And secondly, when you look at this word hypocrite, it makes a lot of sense because when Jesus was talking about the Pharisees, he says when they pray, they like to stand out in the open places, in the synagogues, in the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. I really believe in all my heart that it requires humility to size up ourselves first before we size up someone else. John Stott appropriately says this. He says that we have the fatal tendency to exaggerate the faults of others and minimize our own gravity, the gravity of our own sins. And if we're really going to communicate in our relationships, I believe that we have to examine our hearts. Well, how can you say to your brother, take this, let me take this spick out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? See, this, this really is a picture of someone that is struggling with the delicate operation of removing a spick from a friend's eye while a log or a wooden beam obscures their sight, making it impossible for such an operation to be executed. It sounds crazy. Yet Jesus, is, as a carpenter, is using language from his woodshop. The beam was a huge wooden pole supporting the main structure of a house or a building. And as a speck of dust on the floor of the woodshop is the same substance but drastically smaller compared to the beam. So he says you got to move, remove the, the log out of your own eye in order for you to see clearly to remove the spick out of your brother's eye. One day I was driving with a busted headlight and I knew I had to get it fixed, but I was praying I didn't get pulled over by the police. And as I came to a stoplight, I saw an officer about to turn the corner as I drove. And I was getting very nervous because I didn't want to get stopped and be issued a ticket. But as I was driving, I noticed an interesting detail as I was peering into the rearview mirror. I noticed that the officer's car also was missing a front headlight like mine's. And guess what? He never pulled me over. Now, I eventually got it fixed the next day. Yes. But, and I would not be absolved from getting it fixed. But one thing is for certain I know. That, that that officer would have been hypocritical to pull me over and issue me a ticket for violating a law that he himself was breaking. Jesus says in the Message Bible, take the telephone pole out of your eye before you try to take the dust out of your brother's eye. There's a tendency for people to misread this passage and say, well, there you have it. Jesus made it clear as day that you should mind your own business and stop being a hypocrite. Stop judging me. Stop being judgy. Does it really mean that only? 
Yes, we should mind our own issues before addressing our brothers and sisters. And it does not relieve us of the responsibility to care for our brothers and sisters in Christ, to confront them in love. See, just the opposite is true. We still have an obligation to help our brothers and sisters in need. We are commanded to lovingly admonish our brothers and sisters in Christ. And earlier in Jesus' sermon, and even much later in the book of Matthew, chapter 18, Jesus says, if your brother offends you, you go and tell him his fault between you and him, which we sometimes avoid. Instead, we often go directly around the, we go around the person, we go behind their back, we go to other people, we talk extensively about them, which, by the way, is called gossip. I've been guilty of this. A lot of Christians have been guilty of this, especially in the workplace. Yet, I'm learning that when you are the offended party, when you are offended, you initiate peace. That's the biblical thing to do. It's unbiblical to trash them and dog them out to other people or throw them, um, throw them under a bus or to hold a grudge for days without telling them their fault. See, when I, ha when I have to go to my wife to tell her her offense against me, I have to be mindful of how I do it. I don't have a license to just speak my mind without no consideration as to how she might receive what I have to say, even if it is the truth. When I become, when I become conscious of the principle of communication, I've learned that I learned to chill out and initiate peace first. So we're going to remove the spick from the, our brother's eye. We have to be extremely gentle or we could cause further damage. This is why Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, If any brother is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in what? A spirit of gentleness. See, the concept here is one of relocating a fracture or dislocated bone. When a person is in a disabled vehicle from an accident, the paramedics arrives. They don't just snatch them out of the vehicle and throw them on a stretcher. They're careful to stabilize the bones. So when we go to our brother and sister in Christ to correct them before we go to them, we have to make sure that we're looking unto ourselves lest we also be tempted. But we also have to do it in a spirit of humility and gentleness 